God often reveals his truth to us, whether it is about himself, us, or the relationships therein through the natural world. This is revealed to us by Paul in Romans 1, 19-20, which says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This is also true for man-made things such as film, and I would like to show how he does just that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Welcome to Oh How Marvelous, Episode 10, and today we will be talking about Captain America the Winter Soldier. Now I do not remember my experience with watching this movie for the first time, but um, I'm pretty sure that I was pretty excited to see it. I was pretty excited during the whole movie, um, especially seeing the Winter Soldier catch the shield as he did on top of that roof after he shot Fury. I think that was super awesome right there. And that's the moment where Cap's like, man, I've met my match now. This movie came out as I was finishing up my junior year in high school. My cousin was living with my family at the time. He's also a big Marvel or even comic book movie nerd like me. And so I know we watched it together. And so that was a fun experience. We saw it with a friend, I think, too. So... Now I'm talking about it more, the more memory of it is coming back to my mind. It is in my top 10 Marvel movies for sure, up to date. I gave it an 8.8 .8 out of 10, and so I think it was just that good. I mean, it holds up pretty well. And I have a lot to say about this movie, and it's mostly good things. But before we get to the good stuff, because I really want to highlight those... Let's talk about the dislikes I have for this film first. There are three big points here. The first one is, why did S.H.I.E.L.D. think it's a good idea to recruit Zola? They know he's a genius. Why would they think that it'd be a good idea to recruit him? Like, did S.H.I.E.L.D. really think that they could turn this guy into a good guy and not... Like, did they not think that they just gave him the perfect opportunity to infiltrate S.H.I.E.L.D. with Hydra? Like, I, I think there's some very poor oversight with deciding to recruit Zola instead of just throwing him in jail or whatever. Now my next two points are just kind of nitpicky, but still, I feel like I have a good point here. The one first is when Steve and Nat are going into the S.H.I.E.L.D. base uh, where in Wheaton, New Jersey, where Cap was trained in the Army... Um, there's so many floors underground when the explosion happens, but then when the explosion does happen, it's as if they were on the ground floor or just below it, like one or two floors below. And so I think there was some oversight there with, with just some thinking from the producers and such. Um, again, it's just a nitpicky thing. The third one 
was I kind of wanted to see Steve and Natasha get the Falcon suit. Now, I, I do like how it led up to the reveal of the Falcon suit by itself, but I, I would have loved to see Steve and Natasha <laughs> go on that little mini mission, so to speak. I think it would have just been a fun little scene to see. And now for everything I loved about this movie, it far, far outweighs my gripes that I just mentioned here, which is what makes this movie so great. First of all, my favorite character was Steve Rogers. He continues to present to the world why I love him as a character so much. He's talking about freedom. Um, also, punishment after the crime and not just hey, these people could be a threat. And so I'll get into that much later. So that's why I love Steve as a character. He's my favorite here. I think my second favorite character would be Sam because he's just a loyal friend and he sees Steve as, yeah, sure, a fellow military person, but he also sees him just as a guy who's been through some stuff because if you really consider... In this movie, we obviously see him introduced as this guy who works at the VA who tries to help his fellow veterans just get through PTSD and all the other mental health aspects that come with being in service. And so he just possibly might want to help Steve too. I absolutely love Sam for that. As for my favorite scene, I do have one honorary one and it's when... Cap is talking to Fury in the elevator on the way down to Insight. And it just leads to the conversation of why Insight exists in the first place to prevent a lot of threats before they even exist. And Cap's like, I thought the punishment came after the crime. Again, I'll get into that later um, in the devotional section of this piece. But I just love that. But my favorite scene is the iconic elevator fight. And this is another display of why I love Cap so much. Because he's always aware of his surroundings. And he knows what's going on. And he's able to quickly pick up on what's actually going on with the situation throughout the film. Now as for my favorite quote, I actually have three honorary quotes to get to before I get to my favorite quote. Because they're just too good not to share. The first honorary quote comes from Fury when he's talking to Cap. After the Lumerian star scene, Cap approaches Fury about him not knowing about each person's part in the mission since he was the leader of the mission. And so they get into a little bit of an argument and Fury's like, You're wrong about me. I do share. I'm nice like that. I just love Fury's little quips like that. The second honorary quote that I have for y'all comes from Alexander Pierce, actually. And he's talking to the council just before Fury discovers what's going on with Insight and he wants to come and talk to Pierce. And the, he and the council are talking about Batrock and Pierce corrects one of the councilmen and says he's actually Algerian. And the direct quote says, I can draw a map if it would help. And I just love... Pierce's just quippy wittedness there, but he says it in such a way where like you know he's joking, but at the same time he's so, so serious because of what he says afterwards where he's like, 
I don't care about the boat, I care about the fleet. And I'll get into that line later too. The last honorary quote I have for you here comes from Sam Wilson after Steve and Natasha are like, okay, we need to run away, where can we go? And Steve's like, oh, I know where we can go. And so they go knocking on Sam's trailer door and it's the next morning and Sam is like, I made breakfast if y'all eat that sort of thing. Gosh, I love Sam as a character. Not only is he a good man, but he has wits. He's funny. Um, it wouldn't be Anthony Mackie playing him if it wasn't that way. <laughs> so, I... Uh, again, another reason to love Sam. And so now for my actually favorite quote. It comes from Steve Rogers, of course. Where he and Falcon and Agent Hill finally are able to get to the comms room. And Cap gives his iconic speech. Attention all S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, this is Steve Rogers. You've heard a lot about me over the last few days. Some of you were even ordered to hunt me down. But I think it's time you know the truth. S.H.I.E.L.D. is not what we thought it was. It's been taken over by Hydra. Alexander Pierce is their leader. The Strike and Insight crew are Hydra as well. I don't know how many more. But I know they're in the building. They could be standing right next to you. They almost have what they want. Absolute control. They shot Nick Fury. And it won't end there. If you launch those helicarriers today, Hydra will be able to kill anyone that stands in their way. Unless we stop them. I know I'm asking a lot. But the price of freedom is high. It always has been. And it's a price I'm willing to pay. And if I'm the only one, then so be it. But I'm willing to bet I'm not. Now I especially love that line where he says, The price of freedom is high. It always has been. I actually recently bought myself another Captain America shirt with that very quote onward for the rest of the speech on it. Um, and I absolutely love it. I cannot wait to wear it. It is so cool. But there is also some great truth in all of what he said within that speech, especially that little excerpt that I just mentioned. And I will get into that later. And... Just because of the truth behind it is why I love the quote so much. And again, why I love Cap. Why I love Steve Rogers, Captain America, more specifically, as a character within the MCU. I feel so well represented by him. And I can totally understand why little black children would look up to Chadwick Boseman in T'Challa as Black Panther. Because they can see themselves represented in that too and so i take joy with them as i have seen myself being represented in steve rogers captain america now as for the stan lee cameo i gave this an 8 out of 10 it was pretty good i enjoyed that he just kind of was this background character works at the smithsonian as a security guard and then when he sees 
the 1940s Captain America outfit is stolen or gone, he's like, oh, I'm so fired. And I just loved that moment. So great. Now, before we get to the devotional material, I do have several other things that I really enjoyed about this film that even in this viewing that I had just the other day to prepare for this episode, I actually realized some things. The first one is in the very opening scene, Cap is on the Lemurian star and the mission's going pretty well with a strike team and Natasha. And then Steve comes face to face with Batrock one on one. And they have a little fight. Steve uses his shield quite a bit. And in French, Batrock says, I thought you were more than a shield. And then Steve takes the time to um, recenter himself posturally and take off his helmet. And he says in French, something along the lines of let's test that out or something and this moment made me realize that maybe he took the time to sit down with his french friend with the howling commandos back in world war ii and to learn some french from him and so i thought that was a little cool call back to that little known character that has just one line in the first avenger so I loved that. The second thing is that the song playing on the stereo in Steve's apartment when Fury is there is the one that we all know from Endgame. It's been a long, long time. And so I love that Endgame kind of threw back to this movie within that kind of form. Actually, I think this is the movie that Endgame throws back to the most. And so that's just one of the many things that they use to throw back to the Winter Soldier because it's so iconic and it is kind of like the twist in the MCU. It gives the MCU a big curveball. And so I really enjoyed hearing it's been a long, long time again. And of course, like, you know, Cap's listening to these 1940s music and he has all this 1940s technology in his apartment. I don't even think he has a TV. So I guess you could still call him a little old-fashioned. And the third thing, which is something that I really love and have come to appreciate through watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier, much like when John Walker is holding the shield, whenever John Walker's holding the shield, the star is upside down. And you know the, the shield is just a representative of the U.S. flag, right? And so whenever a flag is upside down, that is a sign of distress, that that nation is within a state of distress. And so in the scene where they're talking to the computer version of Zola, Steve and Natasha, when Steve is holding the shield, if you look at the star, you notice that it's upside down. So it's sort of like foreshadowing the moment that they're about to be in, but it's also saying, hey, Steve is a part of S.H.I.E.L.D. now, and S.H.I.E.L.D. is in distress right now. So I just love the symbolism there. And now, speaking of that scene, the second to last thing I want to point out here is that this is the same building from in Endgame. Again, another one of those moments in Endgame where it throws back to this film. This is the same building that the S.H.I.E.L.D. base is in in the 1970s in that scene in Endgame where after 
Tony kind of messes up with getting the Tesseract in the Battle of New York, and they go back there as a last-ditch effort because um, Tony's like, we could get pimp particles and the Tesseract here. Uh, double whammy. And so they go through with the plan, and this is the building that that shield base is on. And Steve and Nat go in on the same elevator and down to the one of the bottom floors or something, and either this very same floor where they're talking to computerized Zola is the same floor in Endgame where Tony kind of reunites with his father, Howard. Now, if you noticed at the beginning of that moment in Endgame, Howard comes down and he's looking for Zola. He says, Zola, are you here? And then he sees Tony is like, have you seen Zola? And so I wouldn't be surprised if this is the same floor, but it looks like the layouts are different. Um, and so I... It could be the same floor. It could be a different floor. But I just think that it just makes sense that there would be Zola down there. Given that Zola worked down on that floor in the 70s. Now the last thing that I wanted to point out that I enjoyed about this movie. Was just like this small detail. Where at the end of the movie you have the scene by Nick Fury's quote unquote graveside where he's talking to Sam and Steve. And if you look at his hoodie, you'll notice that it's purple. Well, a little fun fact about Star Wars is that Mace Windu, who's played by Samuel L. Jackson, who also plays Fury here, his favorite color is purple. And so he specially requested a purple lightsaber. And so I think if you look in all of his movies that he's in, there's going to be something surrounding his character that he's wearing purple or he's holding a purple mug or whatever um, and so in this scene at the cemetery he's wearing a purple hoodie and so I just love that little detail there so yeah and I know that was a lot to talk about with just the movie in general I haven't even gotten to the devotional piece so let's get to it I will first read the devotional and then we'll talk about it and then I'll discuss some further points that I saw that came from the movie that relates to scripture and the truth that it speaks. So first, the devotional. It reads, In Captain America the Winter Soldier, Hydra has shown Steve and his loyal squad that they have infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. Before doing so, they use a secret weapon in the form of a super soldier with a metal arm in multiple attempts to assassinate Nick Fury. In their attempt to take down Hydra once and for all, Captain America gets in a fight with this metal-armed super soldier and discovers something he never saw coming. In the middle of this fight, he discovers that he is, in fact, fighting his childhood best friend, Bucky Barnes. Hydra has brainwashed Bucky to where he would focus only on the mission they had given him until he accomplished it. In the final fight scene, Steve tries to coax his best friend he has always known out of the brainwashed super soldier. He becomes so desperate that he decides not to continue fighting him even though Bucky's mission was to kill Steve. Bucky continues to beat him to a pulp, but in the end, he decided not to kill him and even pulls Steve out of the water. Steve portrayed the humble attitude of Jesus on the day of his crucifixion. In Luke 23, Jesus cried to the Father, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
the Roman soldiers only knew Jesus as a threat to the Roman Empire, so they had no problem seeing Jesus as a criminal who needed to be crucified. Their mission was to carry out the death sentence upon Jesus. Matthew 27 tells of a Roman centurion who, upon witnessing what had occurred immediately following Jesus' death, came to realize that Jesus truly was the Son of God. Steve saw that Bucky was brainwashed and did not know what he was doing. He knew that if Bucky were truly in control of his actions that they would not be fighting in the first place. Bucky was just as much the victim as Steve was in his brainwashed state. Like Jesus, Steve recognized that Bucky wasn't truly in charge of his actions. Bucky responded to Steve's mercy, having been reminded of who his best friend was by himself coming back to his true self and saving his best friend in the end. Imagine what would have become of Bucky if Steve had not decided to have mercy on him. Like the Roman centurion who heard Jesus cry for mercy, Bucky saw the mercy and love that Steve had shown him and responded with mercy. They both became open to an attitude of forgiveness to the one they had hurt. How have you shown mercy to others lately? How can you show mercy to those who have hurt you? Will you forgive those who have hurt you although they lack mercy and regret? How can you start showing mercy to those whom you have hurt? Will you ask them for forgiveness? Will you forgive yourself? Will you show yourself mercy? Can you ask God for forgiveness? Mercy and grace are such powerful things. And forgiveness. They feed into forgiveness. And if you look at Bucky's situation, those last few questions really apply. If you look at Bucky's story throughout the entire MCU, especially starting at this point, you could tell that it's hard for him to forgive himself. Because if you look at his moments in Civil War, where he's just talking to Steve, Steve's like, it's not your fault. And Bucky's like, but I still did it, right? And so Bucky, when he kind of starts recovering after the end of this movie from his hydro brainwash state, he has a hard time forgiving himself for all the stuff that he's done. And that's why he has such a hard time in therapy with his time in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And so it's really important for him to have mercy on himself because if he doesn't have mercy on himself, he won't be able to forgive himself and he won't be able to move past his past. Um, Let his past be and reconcile himself um, and let him be a force for good. Let himself be a force for good. But we should also all kind of strive to be like Steve in this situation where he can see past the actions of his friend because he knows that his friend wouldn't do this kind of thing. And within the devotional, you hear the quote where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that kind of sort of applies to this situation here. Bucky doesn't really understand what he's doing because he's in his brainwashed state. And so he's just kind of a a tool of Hydra. And he can't really help doing what he does. Like you see later on, especially when Zemo starts using the words to bring him into that brainwashed state, that Bucky's like, please stop. And it you can tell that he's really in distress in those moments. And so I cannot stress enough the importance of first being able to forgive yourself for the sins of your past that you truly regret. And also in that same vein, trying to figure out the sins of your past that you don't even know about in the current moment and coming to regret those and seeing how you could have 
done better in that situation. But also, it's important to forgive others because, as I've said before, forgiveness is not for the well-being of the victim of the sin. It's more so for the well-being of the person asking for forgiveness because the sin can be weighing so hard on your conscience, on your spirit, that the Holy Spirit finally convicts you of it or the Holy Spirit convicts you of it for a long time and then you're finally like, okay, I need to ask for forgiveness. And once that forgiveness is brought to the table and given to you, like that's such a weight lifted off your shoulders, man. Like it feels so good. You didn't realize how much you needed to ask for forgiveness until you do. And it's amazing the amount of stress that it can relieve by just asking others to forgive you from your trespasses against them. And now for some topics that aren't necessarily from the devotional, but also came up from the movie. Um, there are several of them I have here. The first one is the idea of having trust among soldiers. This comes up when Steve is in that conversation with Fury after Lumerian Star incident. And um, Steve tells Fury that soldiers trust each other and that's how they are successful. Now scripture, especially throughout the New Testament, gives us this analogy that we as Christians are soldiers for Christ. Um, I think it's in Ephesians where Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. And I think it's in chapter 6 of Ephesians where Paul is talking about the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, so on and so forth. And so this whole analogy of us being individual soldiers for Christ kind of feeds into the idea that Steve was talking about here with Fury about soldiers trusting one another. And there is certainly that aspect because in the church, we are to put our full trust in the Lord. And part of the Lord's plan is to give us each individually certain giftings so that we might be able to fight certain battles in certain ways that other believers might not be able to. One believer's strength might be another believer's weakness. And so if we put our trust in the Lord within that grand plan, we can also trust that the Lord has given each of us wisdom with using those giftings and fighting those spiritual battles. And so if we trust one another in that, we can be sure to have the victory wholeheartedly um, through Christ. But if we sway from that, that's just generally disobedience and we're not going to be successful. And so that's why it's important for us to be obedient to the Lord and to trust that God has a plan and that God will bring us through and God will lead and guide us through our spiritual battles and to equip us for the work that he has ahead of us. But that's not to say that we're supposed to blindly follow other believers wherever they say that God is leading them or however so, because scripture definitely warns us against false prophets and teachers. And so we must always be on guard to filter what all believers have to say through scripture so that we're not just blindly following this group of people or this person. Paul talked about 
I believe in 1 Corinthians where he says, I hear there are some who say, I'm a follower of Apollos, and some who say, I'm a follower of Paul. And he basically tells them they're arguing about nothing of circumstance, really. Like, Apollos and Paul are both following God. And that is why he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we should be imitators of Christ first and foremost. And we can look at other believers to see what that looks like as well. Now within that same scene of Steve talking to Fury, and he's talking about soldiers trust one another, Fury's kind of rebuttal to that is it's called compartmentalization. And he's talking about how Natasha is comfortable with everything And so he kind of gave her that bit of the mission where she was trying to recover S.H.I.E.L.D. intel from the Lumerian star. And so let's talk about that topic, compartmentalization. As I've said before, God is the grand man with a grand plan. He doesn't give each and every one of us the grand scheme. Otherwise, we wouldn't need to put our trust in the Lord so much as we do now. And so... Yes, the Lord compartmentalizes with us, I believe. He doesn't tell the pastor in Alabama what the missionary in Sri Lanka is doing because those are two different mission fields. Those are two different contexts culturally, physically, geographically. And so while what's going on in Sri Lanka could be helped by the pastor and his church in Alabama, not everybody needs to know what everybody else is doing. I think that really well applies to spiritual warfare and that's why we need to trust in the lord because he knows it all and only he does and we need to make sure that our part of the plan is in motion well in obedience to the lord's commands as put forth in scripture and we also need to make sure that our trust in the lord is unwavering because when we do not have that trust only he can make the plan work out And if we do not have that trust in him, then we might as well not be going with a plan anyway. That kind of just tends to be the natural leaning of someone who doesn't trust the Lord. They don't follow the plans of the Lord. And so it is important that we know that the Lord has it all in his hands. Like the Sunday school song, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. Now the next point I want to talk about comes from the excerpt from the film that I shared earlier with Cap's big speech on the intercom system, revealing Hydra for having infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. And in that bit, he says that the price of freedom is high. It always has been. And that is most certainly true. Throughout the Old Testament, you have the Israelites who have to follow these 600 some odd laws, including these burnt offerings, these food offerings, all these kinds of offerings and festivals and such. That they have to follow along. And all these offerings um, and sacrifices are meant to pay the penalty for these Israelites' sins. But not any of those sacrifices covered it all for their entire lives. And so that's why Jesus came in. He lived a holy life, perfect life, without blemish. And that is why he paid the price for our sins on the cross for eternity. He paid the due penalty for our sins. You know, every time in the Old Testament when sacrifices were made, they were bulls, rams, sheep, goats. But they were only enough to cover their previous sins. And only, in some cases, 
only certain kinds of sins, really. Say you committed adultery. There was a specific sacrifice you had to make. You couldn't just make a random sacrifice. You couldn't just be, be like bringing a goat in and, well, kill it and offer the blood and sprinkle it on the altar and call it a day. There were specific rules laid out for the Israelites. And so when Jesus came in, he covered all sins for all of mankind who believe in him for all eternity. And he was only the perfect sacrifice because he was the only human to live a holy life. And it's because of all that he's human and he lived a holy life that his sacrifice on the cross paid the penalty for all of us. But that's not where it stops. The story of Easter doesn't stop at the crucifixion. It continues on to the resurrection. He was definitely dead in the grave, in that tomb borrowed by Joseph for three days. But then he rose again because the sacrifice is not enough to give us eternal life. He had to conquer death as well. Sin and death, not just sin. He conquered both so that we might be able to spend eternity with him because it is that sin that separates us. It's the sin that came into the world through Adam and Eve that gives us death. And so he couldn't conquer both sin and death at the same time. Through his sacrifice on the cross, he conquered sin. Through his resurrection, he conquered death for all of us. And scripture tells us that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And it is that sacrifice on the cross that reflects what Steve Rogers says here of the price of freedom is high, always has been. And that high price of freedom for all of us was paid for by Christ. So the next point I want to get to comes from the scene when Cap and Fury are talking on the elevator on the way down to Insight. And then they finally get into the facility where all the helicarriers are. And Fury's like, we're going to stop a lot of threats before they even happen. And Cap says, I thought the punishment came after the crime. Now what Fury is doing here is very much unbiblical. And Cap, being the Christian that he is, is standing for his biblical beliefs that punishment should come after the crime. It's not fair to punish someone before they do something. And by the way, this issue kind of comes up again with the Moon Knight series, but we'll get to that when we get there, probably a year from now or something, I don't know. But there is never an instance in all of scripture where God comes down and is like, hey, you're about to do something bad, I'm going to prevent you from doing it and give you the punishment now. That is never a thing in scripture. In fact, there are several instances where God shows mercy towards people who have already done a crime and they do not get the punishment that they deserved. That is what we call mercy, is when you deserve something, but you don't get it. It's when you deserve a punishment, but don't get it more specifically. I think specifically of in John 8, where Jesus comes across the stoning of an adulterous woman and he basically stops the stoning from happening and he tells the woman, go and sin no more. And so this is a show of God's mercy upon her because according to the law from Moses, she should have been stoned to death because she did commit adultery. But the weird thing about that situation is the man should have been stoned as well, but the man wasn't brought out. It doesn't appear in this situation that the man was punished as well. Now the next point I want to get to is the scene where Alexander 
Pierce is talking to the council, and he says, I care about the whole fleet, not the ship. And that is certainly not a mentality that we should have as Christians. That is certainly not the mentality that God has towards us. He cares about us individually as well as the whole. Because if each individual is broken, how are we to expect the whole not to be broken as well? Now, I get that the context that Alexander Pierce is talking about here is in a battle. So he's looking more strategically at a victory in battle. But I would argue that if you have broken individual ships whose crews don't work in unity how do you expect the whole ship to work in unity with the rest of the fleet god cares about us each so individually minutely that he cares about our individual needs he cares about what we care about like say you lose your car keys like that might not have an eternal consequence but if you like prayed that God would help you find your car keys, then he's going to do it for you. He, he cares for you so intricately that he cares about such minute details as that. Now, he's only going to care for your needs, not necessarily your wants or desires in the moment. Um, he might grant you that if that aligns with his will. But to say that God cares about the fleet more than the ship is just so wrong because, yes, God calls us to be one as the Trinity is one. But also he cares about us individually and we are not to win a spiritual battle if we ourselves are not put together well so the next point i want to get to has to do with the elevator fight scene i noted earlier that steve tends to be fully aware of his surroundings he notices the bead of sweat rolling down the guy's face he notices that some of them are already putting their hands on their weapons and so he's getting ready for a fight right and this kind of relates to how God in scripture tells us to always be on guard. Be ready for the day of the Lord's coming. And this is talking about the second coming, right? And this also kind of applies to being on guard against the teachings of false teachers. And I also talked earlier about taking on the armor of God, like the breastplate of righteousness, so on and so forth. And so we should always be on guard for ourselves against the enemy because this is a spiritual battle that we were fighting. So later on in the film, as Steve and Nat are driving away from the mall in the stolen blue Chevy Silverado, um, Nat talks about something along the lines of, truth is not all things to all people, it's a matter of circumstance. And that ironically is a false statement, because if we believe that to be true, then we could just throw away the Bible, right? Like, if we believe the Bible to be true, to be truth for eternity, we can't say that truth is a matter of circumstance. John 17, 17 tells us that God's word is truth. And if you believe truth to be subjective, then how can it be true? How can something be true for one person and not true for another person? Now, I get that there are some circumstances, but like we're talking about morality here. Like if everything is subjective, then what is objectivity itself? What is objective if you're thinking of truth as subjective? Because if truth is subjective, then that makes everything else subjective. And that doesn't logically follow. Because that would mean the chair that I'm sitting in right now could be true for someone else, could not be true for someone else. But I know it to be true because I am sitting in it. See where that falls apart? Where truth as a matter of circumstances, it just doesn't work out. Second Timothy 3.16 
says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so if truth is subjective, then we can't use scripture as truth for reproof. It just doesn't make sense. All scripture is God-breathed, and it is true. I'm just repeating myself now, so I'm going to keep on going on. You're repeating yourself. You're repeating yourself. And now for the last point that I would like to talk about. This is the scene where it is revealed by Agent Hill to Nat and Steve that Fury is actually alive. And this is actually kind of where Sam meets Fury. And Steve is kind of giving Fury the rundown of what just happened and whatever. And you get the moment where Fury is looking at this decades-old photo of Alexander Pierce. And he talks about how Pierce said he was offered the Nobel Peace Prize and Pierce said that peace is not an achievement, it's a responsibility. And that is certainly very much true. First and foremost, peace comes solely from God, the true sense of peace. Now, we can have some worldly things that give us peace, but that doesn't give us everlasting peace. Only God can do that. Now, one of the fruit of the Spirit is peace, love, joy, peace patience, yada, yada, yada. And so it is all throughout scripture that God, first of all, grants us peace, and second of all, commands us to live at peace with one another. Paul instructs us in Romans 12:18. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And the hardest part to take away from that is to just pick and choose your battles wisely, because some of them are just not worth the fight. Now, freedom is certainly worth a fight. And the context surrounding this verse is actually Paul's talking about revenge. And in it, he references back to the Old Testament where it says, Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. And so part of living at peace with one another is not taking revenge, but acting out of mercy and grace towards one another, forgiving one another for our sins, even when the other person doesn't necessarily regret it. It kind of goes back to the devotional piece. So you can just go back to what I have to say about that to think about it further with that aspect in mind. We should not take revenge. We should let the Lord do that because only he can do that in a just manner. And I've said before on this podcast that when we take revenge for ourselves, that somewhere along the line, we're going to act unjustly when we do so because we don't know the full circumstances of why or how they might have trespassed against us. So let the Lord take revenge. Let the Lord give out his punishment, give out his mercy and grace as he will. Now that's a hard one to take in when the Lord gives grace and mercy to someone who's done you wrong, when you're not willing to allow him to do so. But that's not yours to grant him permission for. That's him and him alone. I think we should all pray that we can find ourselves to be at peace with that, that we can first and foremost come to Christ and be like, I am sorry for what I've done. Go to others who we have trespassed against and say, I'm sorry for what I've done, so that we might encourage those who've trespassed against us to ask for forgiveness. And that's part of a beautiful, beautiful display of what it looks like to be Christ-like. And so I think that's all I have to say about Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Now, I'm sure that there are some other things, biblically speaking, that might come up throughout the movie. And that's why we have the Discord, so that we can talk about that. So you're certainly welcome to join me on that. Join some others as well. If you would like to join the Discord, you can 
send me an email at mcudevos, that is mcudevos at gmail.com, and I will send you the invite link, and we'll have a good time, talk about that, even talk about some previous episodes, we can talk about nerd stuff, we can talk about God stuff, we can give each other our prayer requests, I would certainly love to be praying for you in whatever capacity you feel comfortable um, sharing with us about. And yeah, we'll have just an overall great time. I'd love to actually hear from you. On Discord, actually, there's a function where you can voice chat with people, just like a conference call. And so I'd love to be able to chat with you about that, kind of get your feedback as well. Um, I would certainly greatly appreciate and value that. I think that will do it for Captain America the Winter Soldier. I'll see you next time when we cover Guardians of the Galaxy on Oh How Marvelous.